Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we got a really, really, really dope individual joining us today. None other than Chaz Sanders. What's happening, my brother? How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing great. Um, how are you? I, I can't believe this is our first time meeting. I know. And it's virtual. <laughs> I mean, next time, next time we got to do it in, in person and get that energy. I, I, I like that. Yeah, absolutely, man. But I just to uh, give flowers real quickly. I don't know if people do this to you every time, but um, I've been knowing about you since I was probably a freshman in college, just by way of all the connective tissue people we have in common. And I called Quincy last week. I was like, uh, so what's he like? I was like, is he cool? And Quincy said, yeah, he's hella cool. So that's a that's an important stamp, man. Quincy's an important stamp. I appreciate that. Yeah, he's been on here, too. So, look, we start each one of our shows in a very unique way. Um, by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. And while uh, folks who know you know the writing and the creative work you do, your first job out of Morehouse was at Google. So talk about how we get from Google to rap shit and direct deposit. Walk us through that. Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned, I went to Morehouse College down in Atlanta. And uh, the first job opportunity I had came directly from a guy who I got close to in school. We were in the same frat. Um, his name was Jason Crane. He had gone on to work at Google um, the year his freshman, you know, the year after his senior year after he graduated. And Google was kind of just coming to HBCUs and like scooping up pockets yeah. of black kids that they thought were smart. Like they, I could tell they really didn't even have a particular point of view on what they would be great at um, or where to slot them. But, you know, they would put us wherever we they thought we fit in the business and then kind of see what happened from there. And, uh, that start for me at Google is important because, you know, a lot of a lot of my work has been a direct reaction and in some ways a direct um, revolt against like what corporate America felt like for me and what and what it did to me in some ways. So I worked at Google uh, for a year in Mountain View out in the headquarters in California. I jumped over to the New York office then I went over to London, came back to New York and you know, just to call it what it is, I just got tired of the corporate bullshit. And I quit, went to a tech startup. That company got bought by Kaplan. Same thing. I just, I, I really just couldn't feel comfortable answering to anybody. And um, so I left, you know, I left it all to be a starving artist in New York and try to find a way into Hollywood, entertainment, creative, whatever. Like, I really didn't know what I was moving toward, but I just had this feeling that I could you know, be a writer really is what is what I thought. And, um, you know, the, the sort of eureka moment or the thing that really opened up the world for me a lot was that I, I went and started writing this TV pilot at a coffee shop in uh, Fort Greene called Baba Cool. And I've told this story a million times. So I'm going to try to make it sound more interesting this time. But just to call it what it is, um, I met Spike Lee sitting out front of that coffee shop because it's right across the street from his studio, 40 Acres and a Mule. And, um, you know, Spike, was very welcoming to me. Another Morehouse dude uh, kind of took me under his wing, showed me a lot, had me sit right next to him in the editing bay on his projects and doing color, color, coloring for his movies and soundtrack and all that stuff. Took me out to Hollywood and just kind of was like, all right, you know, I'm going to take this project out with you. I had one TV pilot at the time, um, but he was kind of just like, dude, you're a writer, like, you know, go like ready, set, go. And you know, to get to where where it is today, um, my first job in a writer's room was on Grownish. Uh, I wrote for Rap Shit last year. Uh, I have 
you know, my podcast, Direct Deposit, which is on Audible, which is really the emotional chronicling of me, you know, chasing this industry and, and chasing money in this industry. And I wrote a book called Black Magic that came out a couple of years. I just, I, I mean, I just, I got- you just been writing just, in the paper. Yeah, I've just been writing. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to, how do I make it sound sexier? But like, <laughs> I just, I just be writing. That's it. <laughs> Talk about that. I mean, like, so you, you breeze through it a little bit, but like you were just, were you intentionally sitting across from Spike Lee studio? I mean, how did that happen? I mean, for me, it embodies Morehouse. Um, right. which is, you know, you, you, you interact and cross paths with people, whether or not it's on campus or off campus and it's the network, but I don't even know if it was a Morehouse thing or a talent thing. I mean, what was the genesis of that? Or maybe y'all just like the same type of macchiato. <laughs> no, he wasn't even, he wasn't even sitting at the coffee shop. So there's a promenade like right outside of Baba cool over there in Fort green. Um, at the time, you know, I was fully unemployed and I- I'm coming up on like my, uh, I think seven or eight year reunion of being unemployed basically. But I, I had no, I had no um, connection to society between nine and five. So I would be at that coffee shop pretty much every day from, I'll call it like 11 to, you know, maybe 6 PM or whenever they closed. And I would just be sitting there with my laptop every single day, writing a TV pilot. I had no training in, in TV writing, never had been to a class. I didn't go to film school. Like I just Googled, how do you do this? And uh, I think I probably started noticing him there, if I'm being honest, like a few days before I actually got the gall to go over and introduce myself. Maybe I had seen him out having coffee on that on that promenade once or twice. But this one day, I, don't, I you know, I still don't know what it is. Like, I kind of think it's God. I just like I just walked over and introduced myself and I told him I didn't even tell him I was writing a TV pilot. I just told him everything else about me. And he was nice because I was a Morehouse guy. I think that's why he was open, open to it. And um, he gave me his email and he was like, you know, hit me up, whatever. I, I thought it was a fake email. It's like spizike at. Don't you say know, it out loud. Yeah, because yeah, 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 I have it. No, he, the crazy thing is he changes his email like every six months. And, and I yeah. believe his phone number. But, you know, so. Um, that I mean, in some ways it was quite simple. It was profound, but it was simple. He was just like. You can write. You got a voice. I think you could probably, you know, hack it if you if you can be tough in this industry. And and then he kind of just sent me on my way. I mean, that's dope. Let's talk about direct deposit. What is it? Why did you start the show? And what have you learned about black folks and wealth as a yeah. as a as a product of that show? So what it is is an eight part audio series on Audible. Uh, which is, you know, a, a spoken word platform, more or less. Um, I'll tell you what I went into it trying to create, and then I'll tell you what it became. So what I was going to do was I was going to do a show called New Money, and I was basically just going to do each episode was going to be a conversation with me and a young person of color, somebody under 40, who had really just like struck gold and got rich. And I was going to talk to them about all the changes in their life and, and how it affected them. I was going to focus on, you know, uh, people in technology, athletes and entertainers. And over the one and a half to two year process of developing the show, um, I personally was I just came out of what were probably the you know, definitely the most intense uh, emotionally painful, challenging two years of my life, th- these last two years. And those were also the two years that we were developing the show. And so what it started to become was more a show about my personal journey, 
trying to get it in this business, this very um, chaotic and ruthless. And in some ways, it's undersold how intense this business is. That's what started to come out on the page and into the microphone as I started to, to build it out. And, you know, with some some tutelage from, you know, our executive producer at Audible and the producers I worked with on the show, we then brought in the voices of people like Issa Rae and Gabrielle Union and Charles King and Quincy Avery and Pinky Cole to, to almost in some ways guide me to help me get through it, you know, to help me get through the painful parts of being young and black, being untethered to a corporation to buoy you and having to kind of claw your way through, you know, while you're, while your life changes. So, so that's what the show is. It's, it's, it, it did become, um, you know, I, I think it really feels like watching a TV series through your ears in, in all ways. Sonically. Yeah. Audible has been great at that. I mean, even the, um, Charlemagne, Kevin Hart, Audible, yours is dope. They're the one they did on, um, the one they did on the move bombing in Philadelphia. I mean, just, it's like, you're listening to a movie. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, they, and I, and I wanted to add one other thing, which is that I I brought new money when it was in its infancy to uh, Sean, to Sean Finnessy. And I pitched it to him before I knew what it was. You know, Sean Finnessy, obviously, at The Ringer, the, the head of content where, where you're at. And um, most people didn't know what it was until and this is I'm saying it to say something about the creative process, which is like usually. I don't even know what the thing is until I'm halfway through it. And I feel like most people have that same experience. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. So what do you want people to get out of it, though? If you had to just pinpoint that one thing, what do you want think people to get out of it? And how do we get Black folks in particular, parents, et cetera, our generation who are now having kids, um, to be more comfortable talking about money with each other? Well, the first answer is there is there's so much risk in uh, if you're if you are starting without wealth, there's so much risk in trying to create wealth. No shit. And- I'm, I'm <laughs> nervous every day. Every every little private equity investment I make a twenty from twenty five thousand to a hundred. If you if it goes down or you lose it, because you know you're supposed to only invest what you can lose. But if you lose it, you're like fuck me. Yeah, and and 
you know, that I think that risk can take on different forms for different people in different careers. But regardless, there's risk and risk comes with uh, exhilaration, it comes with fear. It comes with um, in some cases, there are people who are willing to take advantage of you while you're taking a risk. You know, there's this whole laundry list of, uh, I guess, pitfalls within it. Yeah. And if you're black on top of that, like if you add the dimension of blackness to it, then you're bringing in all of the litany of dangers that we know exist around black people. And so I think as you listen to the voices in the show and if you, as you listen to my voice, you will find that what it creates is really pushes you into like your most survival instinctive being like it really reduces you down to can I just survive long enough until this risk pays off? And I want I want young black people who are trying to do that thing to embrace that process because there's kind of no way around it for us as far as I can see it. If there is, then somebody didn't teach me. <laughs> like Black Magic, you're also an ath- author. You mentioned that. I know how difficult that can be. Uh, what's it about? Why did you write it? And what did you want readers to take out of it? Man, Black Magic is, it, it is me you know, I started that book in my mid late twenties is my, it's my first book. I got another one uh, that I'm writing now, but it, it is me trying to answer the question for myself. Um, is there anything I'm getting out of this black experience, which is so hard, you know, which is so challenging. Is there anything I'm getting here that I can use as tools for myself to get where I'm trying to go? And it's, and it takes, I think a um, in some ways, detached and analytical point yep. of view on, you know, um, code switching. Well, what I'm doing here, I know what I'm doing is assimilating. I know what I'm doing is trying to get people to hear me and respect me and see me as equal, white people specifically. And that's bad. Like, that sucks. But maybe there's something inside of code switching, something that I'm learning in terms of empathy or character building or the ability to use my voice that I can use to do what I'm really trying to do as Chad Sanders, which is, you know, in that, at that point in time, it was to build a media company. So I take probably 10 different principles like code switching. And I look over the arc of a young black person's life. And I try to pull out like, what do we have here that are our tools to use? That's what I'm, that's what I call black magic. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like, me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. 
Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. What did you learn about yourself when you were writing? Well, it was my first book. Um, so I, I, I mean, not to be facetious, but like I learned that I could write a book. Um, I learned, and which is to say, I had to afford my life while also writing a book, which meant that I had to find ways to make money in the industry while going through the two year, actually like three or four year process of getting this book done and getting it published. When it, came, when it was published, um, I learned how just making one thing, like one thing with your name on it that is of substance can yep. open up, you know, doors to everything else you want to do. And that was important for me to know because I am a person who has a million, you know, thoughts and ideas running through my head at all times, as I think many of us are. Everything looks exciting sometimes. I want to chase everything down. But it, when I was able to just focus and lock in and get one thing executed, it, you know, the rest of my life is now derivative of me taking care of that one thing. Yeah, that process is like you, you learn more about yourself during that process than most people give them credit for when they're going into it. Um, talk to me about two of my favorite shows, Rap Shit and Grownish, and the creative process. How did you come up with the content that we end up seeing in these two shows? And what's it like working with Kenya Burris and Issa Rae? Um, okay, well, <laughs> I'm, I, this is um, this moment right now is probably the freest I've ever felt. And so I'm going to challenge myself to be completely honest right now. So writing on a TV show um, in a so. I did them in two different ways. For Gronish, I went in, wrote one episode, co-wrote one episode, and I left. I was in that writer's room for a week. So barely got to know the other writers. Can't say I got to know Kenya Barris at all. You know, I got I like got to work with him for a week, but I have no relationship with him, don't have his number, et cetera. The process of, of writing rap shit was completely different. I was with a team of, I want to say, 12 writers over the course of... I want to say 20 weeks, maybe longer. And we were, it was all through Zoom because this is like just post COVID, right? So we're, there are people who wrote on that show who I didn't meet, you know, until months after we started writing the show. And writing for a TV, especially writing a story about two young people who are in the middle of their messy, chaotic, exciting 20, mid 20s lives. Yeah. Um, and this is a young room. It's like almost entirely black. It's mostly women. It is, it, it's just like a, you know, 
it, I'm going to be honest, like it was emotionally challenging. It was emotionally challenging because everybody is sharing their real life shit, their, their real life stories of the stuff that they stepped in in their 20s. And you're trying to be supportive and you're trying to glean all the best stories from that and put it into the creativity. Um, while also, you know, if you're me, while also feeling like this is vulnerable, like I'm, I feel at times probably a little bit judged, you know, at times probably a little bit afraid of how people are going to see me because I did this thing because I did that thing. And um, what I'll say about Issa is watching Issa when I, when I was on set for the show, when, when it was being produced, watching Issa walk around a set of HBO Max exec executives, actors, producers, directors, successful people, people who have made careers in this, people, yeah. some people who are twice her age, um, watching her walk around and be the boss with such a calm and cool resolve and without making a show of herself in it, uh, that turned a dial for me about what power um, can look like if you wanted it to, if you're not completely ego obsessed. Along that same line, though, Chad, for, this is my last big question for you, but, sure. you know, what do you tell young folks who are listening to this, who want to, who may have a TV show in mind or want to see their ideas end up on the screen, big or small, like you have? What's your advice for them? Because your story is a true, like, I was homeless in New York. You, luck happened, skill happened, pre preparation for opportunity happened, all that shit we hear about. Right. And, and, and I want to say, like, I definitely was never homeless, but I was uh, I was broke there, you know. But, man, what I would say about all of this, like you were one I, step away from starting the OnlyFans showing your feet, Chad. That's what you <laughs> Bro, if if OnlyFans had existed, then I <laughs> definitely would have considered whatever somebody <laughs> wanted to pay me to see. But um, <laughs> man, my thing is, so I live in New York. I don't live in Hollywood. I've never lived in LA. I love LA. I strongly do not fuck with Hollywood. I would say if you want to make something like pull yourself away from the idea that somebody is going to see you and discover you and lift you up and put you in the right position and all that stuff, the Spike Lee of it all, like that is not real. Like that is not real. That is completely out of your control. You could spend 20 years waiting for that. If you want, if you have a vision for something you want, to, I have a TV series that I want to make right now, right? I'm a screenwriter. I got agents. I got managers. I got all these connections now, blah, blah, blah. All this shit I didn't have seven years ago. I'm making the TV series first. I'm, sh I'm writing it. I'm shooting it. I'm, I, I'm bringing on producers that I like. I'm pulling teams together. Like when I didn't have those connections, when I wanted to make my show with, you know, that eventually got sold to my first show that I, that I sold I went and shot a, a scene of it, you know, for a couple thousand dollars that I pulled together. Um, got a Morehouse brother, um, Stefan Bristol, who directed me in it, cast people that I know. Like, that's that's what I believe in. I believe in if you want to make it, um, make, start making it. Like, yeah. don't don't even sorry, I'm yelling into this mic, but like. I just believe it so strongly. If you go wait in line for Hollywood, if you go have to pray to Hollywood as your God, like you're going to be punished and you're never going to get the shit that you want. And you're going to be waiting for gatekeepers forever who don't want to let you in the gate. That's, That's really my advice. Chad Sanders has been a pleasure, man. Tell people how they can follow you and what you got coming up next. Um, it's been a pleasure. Likewise, too, man. Thank you so much for having me, Bakari. Especially for young. There's a lot of people who listen who are younger who want to get involved. So hopefully they find at least one find some motivation out of your story. I love that. And and honestly, like I reply to DMs, So, you know, I'm not too fancy to, to be hit up um, on Instagram. I'm at Chad Sand on Twitter. I'm at Chad underscore Sand. 
and I literally just started my TikTok. So let me figure out what my fucking uh, <laughs> what my little joint is. Man, um, I had TikTok for like like a week. I was trying to follow my daughter on TikTok, and I was just like, Oh lord, she gonna be out there doing what she want to do because Daddy can't keep up. Nah, hell no. I'm, I mean, I'm 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 at Chad underscore Sanders on TikTok. I'm gonna say that shit again. Hopefully, you guys can can get it and edit. I'm at Chad Sanders on Instagram. I'm at Chad underscore Sand on Twitter. I'm at Chad underscore Sanders on TikTok. And you can listen to Direct Deposit on Audible now. You can listen to Quitters, which is me and Julie Bowen, who you know as the blonde mom on Modern Family, um, on anywhere where you get podcasts, Black Magic's the book. And to answer your question, I'm working on a TV series right now, which is uh, mashing up basically what's actually happening in my life right now with um, some surrealism and, and some, some funky ways of telling a story. Uh, you'll see that very, very soon. I'm, I'm, I'm showing the process of building it out on my TikTok. So that's what's going on. Chad Sanders, much love. Thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast, my brother. Bakari, thank you very much, man. I appreciate you. Right. 